0: I invite you to kneel with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you that because of the name of Jesus Christ, that we can come to you boldly and confidently, knowing that you hear our prayers. God, we come here today to worship you, to thank you. We come here today, God, because we need your wisdom and we need your guidance. God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds that we might be renewed in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I was trying to find something to watch on TV which is sometimes difficult when you have a 1,050 channels. It was a much more simple day when we had three channels and a fuzzy UHF, or whatever it's called. So I was flipping around, and and I ran into a reality TV show. This is probably, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago. And the reality show was looking at the lives of usually two individuals per episode. And it was going inside of where they lived inside of their house and inside of their apartment. And it was showing how they organized their life. But as as the show went on and as you began to look at the show, you realize that the people that they were profiling in this show had a problem. And that was a problem of the inability to throw things away. They would collect items, they would acquire a lot of items. Some of them were valuable. Some of them were not worth anything. And for some reason, they couldn't throw these things away. Things as simple as old newspapers and magazines and old mail. And they would take them and put them in those Ziploc bags and those trash bags. And they would stack them and things would get so bad within their homes that they could barely have a path to walk around. And many times they lived in unsanitary conditions. Of course, the name of this reality show is called Hoarders. And it profiles people who have a disorder. It's really serious. It's very difficult to overcome. And that's people who have a, an inordinate or sometimes an irrational attachment to things, and for some reason, they can't let go. They can't let go. And if you've seen the show before, you know the solution is not as simple as, well, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do for my mom, my dad, my friend who has this problem. I'm just gonna call up a U-Haul or a moving company, and we're gonna get all their stuff that they don't need and all this trash and garbage and move it out. It's not that simple. Studies show that 15 million Americans suffer from this compulsive hoarding disorder. And only 15%, so 85%, don't even realize they have a problem. Many times they're living in trash, they're living in filth, and their lives are so cluttered they can barely move around the space in their home, but they cannot see it. Now... People who do get free from this extreme form of hoarding, it, it usually happens through an intervention, with they'll show on the show, and they get some serious treatment and they begin to, you know, come out of their, their grave as they have buried themselves alive. But the problem with a lot of the reality shows that we see today, and it seems like most TV is, is reality shows, whatever show it is you like to watch, whether it's the Real Housewives of Atlanta or Washington or Tanglewood, I don't know, it's easy to kind of look at these sometimes extreme examples and kind of opt out, you know what I mean? Like, that's not me, right? That's not me. I, I don't yell and scream and cuss like they do on that show. Or I'm not really a compulsive hoarder. I don't hold on to stuff like that, right? I'm not in that tough a position and dealing with that kind of struggle. But I think especially when it comes to hoarding or holding on to stuff and to things that we need to let go, I think all of us can find ourselves on that continuum. And many times it causes wreckage and damage in our life and the lives of others around us because we simply fail to let go. We won't let go. And here's the tough thing about that, and this is what I want to talk about today, is that we miss out on something that God has for us. We talk about this a lot at at Beach Retreat. We talk about what a tragedy it would be if there is a God and this God knows you and loves you and has something for you, a gift for you, or or a reality he wants you to live in, and you miss it. What a tragedy it would be if we miss that. So I don't want to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. So let's find out what it is. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter number four. This is our last message in this series on Philippians chapter four. Again, I believe that Philippians four is the most practical and encouraging chapter in the entire Bible. So it's my uh, prayer for you, my hope for you, that uh, when you're feeling anxious and worried, you'll turn to Philippians 4. You'll go to Philippians 4. When you need to thank God and you're stressed out, you'll go to Philippians 4. When you start listening to that inner voice that is self-condemning, you'll go to Philippians 4. When you're wondering, where can I find that strength to persevere and to make it through, you'll go to Philippians 4. I pray that Philippians 4 will be one of your go-to chapters in the Bible. So, this is it as far as Philippians 4 for us. Next week we begin a brand new series called God's Will for Your Life. God's Will for Your Life. We'll look at that starting next weekend. But for now, let's go to Philippians 4. We don't want to miss out on what God has for us. Paul, as you remember, is writing from a Roman prison. He's writing to a church in Philippi, which is today northern Greece, it's the very first Christian church on the European continent. He's writing it around 62 AD. And here's what he says to these Philippians, his closing words. He says, you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church with me, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Now, if you like to underline things in your Bible, whether you're watching uh, from home or right now in the worship center, underline giving and receiving. For even Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So Paul is referring back to when the Philippians first heard and received the gospel. The more complete story is in Acts chapter number 16. And he said that after they received the gospel... These Philippians were generous and they gave, I don't know what's financial gifts or food or clothes or something, to Paul to meet his needs. He said no other church did that except the Philippians, right? They weren't hoarders. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And we looked at that last week. Paul says, I'm great. I've been rich, I've been poor, I've been somewhere in between. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But he's saying, I appreciate your gift. I could have done without it, but I know your gift is going to help you in your relationship with God and with others. It's going to build character in you. It's it's an act of worship. It's going to increase to your account. Verse 18, but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. So, Paul took this gift that they gave him and looked at it as an act of worship. That's why we have giving and offering uh, in the church. That's when we talk about it. It is an act and a part of worship. Look at verse 19, it's kind of a promise. That Paul gives the Philippians because they have given. He says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to God and Father be the glory forever. Amen. God's words are very clear here. Life, the good life, the godly life, the spirit filled life is not about Hoarding and holding on to stuff, but it's about giving. It's about giving. It's about reaching out. God fills us so that we, in turn, can pour out our lives and many times pour out our resources to help others. So the Philippians got it, right? They got what a lot of these early churches didn't really get. They were in the flow, if you would. You know, we talk about that in sports, man. They're in the flow or they're in the zone. Well, the Philippians understood this. They were in the flow of giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. If we look at this passage and kind of outline it, we can see the flow there. We see in the first part of this passage when Paul was starting the church that God gives and then we, or in their, they, their case, they, they receive. Then we give and God receives. Then we need and God supplies. Now, let me fill in those blanks for you right there, okay? Let's fill in those blanks and go through it. God gives us what? Well, God gives us everything we need. Everything is Grace everything but specifically in this passage God gives us the gospel the gospel now the term gospel is a word we use um, in our society when we want to really emphasize to someone that we're telling the truth right and I like it sometimes you're talking to somebody and they'll go hey I'll be honest with you right now right you've been lying to me the last 15 30 minutes of this lunch or appointment You you kind of wonder right but we'll say hey this is the gospel truth. This is the gospel truth. So the term gospel really here was Paul borrowing it from the Greco-Roman culture. The, the term gospel simply meant the announcement of some epic event, like Caesar is coming to town. In this case, Nero was the emperor in Rome. So if someone would go out and proclaim the gospel, he's coming. Or it's the, the birth of a prince or a king of royalty. That would be the gospel. So Paul was saying, right here to the Philippians and throughout the New Testament, hey, there's a greater gospel. There's a greater king. There's a greater emperor. There's a greater good news. And that is that God has done something incredible and mind-blowing and life-changing. God has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ Christ came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, he rose again on the third day, sent his spirit to live inside of us that we can be forgiven and have new life. This is the gospel. It's not what we do, it's what God did through the life of Christ. How amazing, how mind-boggling that the God- who exists and created this universe and the metaverse and everything beyond that, that this God would come down and enter into the scene. And that this God through his son would lay down his life for us that we might have life. So God is a giving God. God gives the gospel. And then like the Philippians, many of us receive all things new. We receive a new heart. We receive a new mind. We receive a change in our will and ability to follow God. We receive the new community, which is the church. We receive this new relationship with God where he's not simply, well, the old man upstairs or, you know, the force or the higher power. No, this God is our father through Christ and we are children of God, all by his grace. And these are all things new that God gives, keeps giving to us. And no matter how old you are, if you're 17 or 27 or 87, God gives us all things new. It says his mercies, right, are new, every morning. So look at the flow. God gives the gospel. We receive all things new. And then check it out. We give all things back. We have those light, it's a light bulb moment. Oh, wow. My life is not mine. My, My life, my existence, my My school career, my job, my family, my relationships, that's all a gift from God. I want to give my life back to God. And the Philippians are like, hey, I want to give my stuff back to God. Or I want to give my stuff to help this guy Paul move the ball down the field and get this gospel out there. So we give back, all things back to God. And then God receives this. Our worship, he receives it as worship or God receives our worship. He looks at our giving to others, our giving to the church, our giving to the ministry, our giving to help out as an act of worship. That's that fragrant aroma, that sacrifice that we give unto God. And then look at that last verse. It says, God will provide all your needs in Christ Jesus. We need... Whatever it is you need. And and God knows your need today. God knows my need today. Maybe you need endurance. Maybe you need strength. Maybe you need hope. Maybe you need wisdom and guidance. I know I do today. And we ask God, God, I I come to you and I I present my need to you. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. And God supplies what? All of our needs according to his riches in Christ. God supplies all we need, what we need. So do you see the flow there? All right. I'm not talking about Tai Chi or something like that or yoga or something like that. I'm talking about the flow of giving and receiving, giving and receiving, giving and receiving. It's a flow that God has created for us that we need to live in and walk in as we're seeking to follow him. Now, the great thing is our church has been around, this church, for a long time. In American years, if you would, right? Founded in 1927 in downtown off of Milam Street, people sacrificed to start this church. When the church moved out here to Woodway, which was the country, it was the the distant land. People sacrificed and gave and put out second mortgages on their home. One person said, "What are you doing? You are a beep fool." We could have had a reality show back in then. So you know. All these people sacrificed so that we could move out to Woodway. And we had the old gym as a worship center. And then during the 80s when things uh, were a little bit difficult and tough and strenuous here in Houston, our church sacrificially gave that we could have this worship center right now. People sacrificially gave that we could go out west and expand our other west campuses. As different crises happened in our, in our city, whether it was um, Tropical Storm Allison or Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Ike or the Harvey flood, or even during this COVID-19 pandemic, our church has always been generous. Our church has been a giving church. Our church, most of the people in our church understand this whole flow, if you would, of giving and receiving, both of material things, of money, and of time and gifts. This is what I don't want us to miss out on. If you've missed out on it, I don't want you to miss out on this whole flow of giving and receiving. But sometimes (laughs) we're like these other churches that Paul mentioned in Philippians 4. Philippians, you are the only ones. Houstonians, second Baptistians or whatever we are. Maybe you're the only one who got it, but sometimes it's easy to miss it. We go into some type of extreme hoarding or some type of pseudo hoarding of holding on to stuff and holding back. Not just material things, but holding back words, holding back love, holding back support. And we start, we start monkeying around a little bit, for lack of a better word. Maybe you've seen the, the old monkey trap. Just check it out. Look, look at this video. Let's just watch. What? That's a coconut right there. And that's a monkey. There's a piece of fruit that the monkey wants and likes to eat. He's reaching in. He's going to grab that little piece of fruit. Now, what we can't watch, oh, there he goes. I don't know what kind of monkey that is. That monkey's stuck, right? See, look. And the monkey goes crazy, goes bananas, trying to get there. Now, why can't, if we could look inside that coconut, if we had, you know, x-ray vision like Superman, we could see that the reason the monkey can't get that piece of fruit, the reason his hand is stuck in the coconut is why? He's got a white knuckle grip on that piece of fruit. Now, normally, in that monkey's life there, wherever this monkey lived, normally that was a good thing. You see a piece of fruit, you grab it, and you hold on to it, plop it in your mouth, right? But in this case, it was different. Things has changed. The monkey saw the fruit in there, reached in, and had it. And it's a little hand, but it wouldn't let it go. And the only way... That monkey could have gotten the fruit or gotten out of that situation. What's to let it go to pull its hand out? Many times, we forget this, this flow of giving and receiving that God has designed in this world in the universe, and if we're going to follow him, we get stuck. We start to hold on. We start to grasp. So, how do we get free? Well, we get free by the gospel. We get free really by the gospel, and it's really our response to the gospel. So when you think about our response to the gospel, the good news about what God has done for us in Christ, our response to the gospel really can be boiled down, if you would, to one word. Trust. Trust. The gospel is all about trust. If there is a God, do I trust? That he has a plan for my life? If there is a God, do I trust that he can handle the anxieties and worries that I'm carrying right now? If there's a God, do I trust that what he says about me and what he says I can do is true and not the lies that are rolling around in my head? The gospel is all about trust. Do I trust God with my life? Do I trust God with my, my heart, my emotions, my mind? Do I trust, trust God in that way? And do I trust God with my stuff, right? The, the things that God has given to me, the blessings I have, the, the things that I have, the money that I have, do I, do I trust God with that? What? What if you have a lot of money? What if you have a lot of stuff? What if you're what if you're rich? And you know, what I discovered is that no one's, no one's rich. you ever noticed that? Uh, no one thinks they're rich. The other person's rich. I'm not rich. Because materialism begins where my income ends. Right? And by a global standard, you know, 99% of us in this room right here and those watching are rich. So what do we do? How do we show God that we trust him? Look at Second Timothy, I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Paul has a word about our stuff. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. God has given us this world. He's given us creation. He's given us the ability to work, to make money, to buy things that we can enjoy them. Not that we can hoard them or live in fear that they're going to be taken away. what's well, it's since you enjoy creation, to enjoy nature, to enjoy the, the things of this life. But then he says this, verse 18, command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you have stuff, if you have material goods, we're to be generous. Generous with our things. Generous with our stuff. Generous with our finances, the generous and meeting needs of people that we see around us. And that is an act of worship unto God. I like this quote from uh, William Barclay. Barclay says, the wealth of God is open to those who love him and love their fellow men. He who gives makes himself richer For his own gift opens to him the gifts of God. Now, now listen. I'm, I'm not talking about some kind of quid pro quo prosperity gospel. The problem with the prosperity gospel is, like with any any heresy, there's a kernel of truth in it. So sometimes, when we do give of our material things and our money and finances, God blesses us. Financially, that does happen, but it's not a guarantee as professed by prosperity teachers and preachers. Can God heal today, physically heal? Absolutely, He can. Is that healing guaranteed? Absolutely not. If it's not true in Haiti, it's not true in Houston. But God does want us to understand at the same time that as we give, as we give away our life, as we give away things, as we become generous givers like so many people are in this church community, then we understand the blessings that come to us, sometimes material, sometimes spiritual, sometimes physical. But you have to get into that flow of giving and receiving to really understand what I'm talking about. It's something that's learned empirically and experientially. And that's what God is inviting us into today. Many of you are already in the flow. Others of us are having to evaluate, hey, have I gotten out of the flow? (laughs) Have I been monkeying around? Am I holding on to something that I need to let go on? I think that if I hold on to this, This is going to make me secure, and this is going to give me power. But maybe God is saying, I need to let that go and see what God does. When I was in college, a friend of mine invited me to come to his church. And um, when I went to his church, uh, they they sang this song, of course, that I've not forgotten. It's been, I don't know. I was in college about 10 years ago, so it's been about 10 years. No, it's been about 30 years. 30 years, right? But 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 the course was simple. It was, it went, you can't beat God's giving no matter how you try. You can't beat God's giving no matter how you try. The more you give, the more he gives. So just keep giving. That's the flow of giving and receiving, of giving and receiving, of laying down our life and then laying down our needs before God. Isn't that what he did for us? Isn't that what Jesus Christ did? He lived a perfect life, a holy life, a moral life, he laid down his life for the poor and for the broken and for those disenfranchised. He went to a cross and, and was tortured and crucified, giving and giving for us. And we give to God, we give to Christ, not only the things that's material or things like that, we give to him The bad stuff, our sin, our guilt, we give that to him. And then he, through divine recycling, gives us back and begins even to redeem that in this flow of giving and receiving. Let's do that. Let's get into that flow. Let's do that today, this week, as he leads and gives us the strength.